Hi, this is Don Blunt, and I'm editor of The Record, and I'm sitting here with Alex Breitler, former Record staff writer, now a public information officer at San Joaquin Delta College. And what we're doing is we are going to discuss a few stories that Alex wrote while at The Record as part of our violent crime project. In this project, we've already looked at a few of the victims or survivors of victims of violent crime in Stockton. Brief reviews that we talk to these people about uh, their loved ones, and we talk to people who were these involved in these accidents or murders going back as far as 10 years. So, Alex interviewed two families and wrote two stories for us, and we're going to talk about those now. So, how are you doing, Alex? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Don. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the Salvador Castagnon family and um, ex- just describe to listeners how you went about reporting that story, how you actually you found this family, and why you selected them as a, as a good um, example for this story. Well, I went through uh, uh, record archives looking specifically for uh, homicides that happened, um, you know, roughly 10 years ago. And I also kind of wanted to find uh, a family to write about um, where there's somewhat different circumstances. We write a lot about uh, young victims of crime, um, which are obviously very tragic cases. This case, this particular case, involved a 76-year-old gentleman who was killed, uh, a grandfather, now a, now a great-grandfather. Um, and, and that's very different than a lot of the cases that we write about in Stockton. So I was interested in um, finding out how that affected his family uh, uh, later on. I mean, we're talking multiple generations of people um, he now has uh, uh, 14, I believe, 14 great-grandchildren uh, who were not, uh, uh, were not living when, when he was killed. So that's an entire generation of this man's family that he did not have a chance to meet. And uh, that really has profoundly affected his family. So, so I just thought it would be really interesting to, 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 to meet with the family of, of an older homicide victim because, you know, some people might be inclined to say, well, he lived a good long life, and he did, uh, but that doesn't make it any less tragic, mm-hmm. and uh, the impacts upon this family 10 years later are still uh, very, very severe, um, so I just thought it would be important to tell a, a, a story like that along with, along with the others. So what did you find? What's the difference between survivors of an older victim versus survivors of a younger victim? I'm, I'm not sure that there really is that much of a difference. I mean, first of all, they believe that he would still be alive today. He was in good health. He was 76 years old, but he was in good health. Um, so they believe that he would have met all of these great-grandchildren and would have a, a, a relationship with them, just like he did with his grandchildren. Uh, he was known for kind of the typical grandpa relationship. He would, you know, he would dance with his granddaughters in the hallway, and he would slip money into his grandkids' hands so they could go to, could go to McDonald's and all that kind of fun stuff that grandpas do. And they were hoping, they were assuming that he would be uh, uh, around to do that with his great-grandchildren as well. Because he'd be about 88, 89 years old about yeah. now. Yeah, he, he would be, you know, he would certainly be, he would be in his upper 80s, but he was in good health at the time that he was killed. Um, and, and I think there's, there's every expectation on behalf of the family that, that he would still be here today. So he has missed an entire, an entire generation. And Go ahead. Sorry. So that's okay. So, it, so with, what I notice is, is with younger victims or survivors of younger victims, you sort of hear about the life the lo- that was lost, what they did not get opportunity to do. 
with an older victim? Is it more so a thing of legacy and reaching down to that younger generation that's that's being missed? Yeah, absolutely. They all they all missed out on a chance to know him as his as his grandchildren did, and and it's you know it affects them in very profound ways. I mean, they they talked about how every time there's a child born into this family, which is a very large family now. Um, there's it's certainly it's it's a joyful time when there's a birth in the family, but there's also the feeling of, you know, oh, we wish that we wish that he could be here, to to meet this child, this great grandchild, this great grandchild. We wish that he could hold this child and have a picture taken with this child. And so there's this tinge of sadness that accompanies even these these very joyful events, uh, which is just tragic. All these years later, that that um, even in these great wonderful moments, that there's that there's just a little hint of sadness. So how do you, I, I, I've asked other writers the same question, so I'm going to ask you as well. How do you really approach a family and say, hey, I want to write about this painful topic? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, you want to be um, compassionate first and foremost. I mean, you want to be a human being before anything else. Um, it's not about the story. It's about the people. Um, so I reached out to his, uh, uh, his daughters. and uh, How'd you come across them? I, I had to find them on social media. I mean, it's, these are cases that, I mean, this is a 10-year-old case, um, and it's, it is difficult to track folks down after 10 years in some cases. Um, so I found them on, on social media, and I just sent them a note, um, private note, that um, said in the most sensitive terms possible what we were trying to do, um, and, you know, asked them if they would be willing to just talk about how this event 10 years ago uh, changed the, tra- the trajectory of their family. Okay. And, and I think in most cases, and I was a full-time cops reporter for a number of years, I think in most cases, families, um, they really want to, to share about those kinds of things. Um, uh, you know, they, they want to um, honor their loved ones, and they want to kind of tell the world why why this mattered, why their, lo- why their loved one was so special, and and they want the world to know that they that they're still suffering after all these years. Which, you know, I mean, we our, our society, you know, we, we read about these things and we move on as a society. You know, we mm-hmm. uh, 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 we move on to different cases, different stories. Sadly, and uh, I think it meant a lot to them that we still cared enough after all these years to, to it, want to reach out to them. Do you think it gave them opportunity to sort of keep his memory alive? Absolutely, absolutely, and that's what. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in their shoes, um, but I think I might want to do the same thing with one of my loved ones. I, I, if, if, if I was contacted years later by a journalist, I, I think that I, that I would really want to participate in something like this mm-hmm. just because it's, it is a way of keeping their memory alive mm-hmm. and reminding the world that, that this person mattered. Mm-hmm. Now, for us, I'm looking at the story, and actually it was more than 12 years ago that this happened, but you mentioned that you sort of found them on social media. For, so for listeners, connect some dots for me here. I mean, how do you, how really do you go about and find find a family on social media or or however, whatever method you use to, to try and find them? How do you do that? Well, if you just, if you just search for the name, I mean, it, it depends on who you're looking for. Um, if well, let's talk about this case. Right. In this case, um, his daughter, one of his daughters still has the same last name. So she popped up on Facebook. Um, and it really wasn't that difficult to kind of connect the dots and figure out that she was related to him. We had written articles about him at, at the time of his death. 
and we had quoted um, members of his family. So I believe I saw her name in one of our previous articles this is going back many years. Uh, so I knew that that was her, and it was a unique enough name. I knew that it was her, and I was comfortable reaching out. And actually, it's interesting, um, many of them, and, and I looked at a number of families. I wrote about these two families, but I looked at a number of them, and they are still talking on social media about their loved ones. So if you go and you look at their at their Facebook wall or, or, or whatever, you, you, you may very well find posts mm. that they have written just in the last few years. Are they public? They're... In some cases. In other cases, they're not. Okay. But in some cases, they're public. And, and that's how you know, obviously, that, that this is the person that you, need to, that you need to contact. And that's usually, you know, if it's, if it's a public post and they're talking about their loved one, that's a, that to me is a sign that they may be receptive to, you know, to speaking with a journalist. Um, and, and obviously, again, you still want to be in, very sensitive in how you approach them. And uh, if they're not interested, obviously, uh, it, it, let it go immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. That's my approach. But... Um, uh, usually, if 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 they're still talking about it on social media, they they they're gonna they'll be interested in talking to a to a journalist about it. Okay, so so in this interview with this story, what what was sort of the your takeaway, the thing that you, affected you the most? You know what? It was the sheer number of people who were there. Um, How many roughly? <laughs> I couldn't even tell you. It was the guy's entire family. It was his uh, his his two daughters were there. Uh, he has another daughter who lives out of the area, but but two uh, two daughters were there, a whole slew of grandchildren, the spouses of grandchildren, the children of the grandchildren, so the great grandchildren were there. Um, it was you know, I stepped into this house and the living room was full of people. And actually, as a reporter, you go into a situation like that, it's a little bit intimidating because it's more it's a bit more difficult. You know, you you like to be able to kind of focus and, and talk to maybe just a few or a handful of people at one time. So you can keep track of what everyone is saying and keep everything straight in your mind. It was a little overwhelming to have that many people there, but we just kind of we adjusted and we just kind of went around in the room. I explained what we were trying to do and invited anyone who felt like speaking up to, to participate. And some of them chose to, and some of them chose not to, and that's totally fine. Mm. Um, and we just basically opened it up as really more of a conversation than a than a structured interview, and just gave them a chance to. Uh, share whatever it is they wanted to, to share about their their father or their grandpa, their mm-hmm. their great grandpa. Mm. Uh, so it was it was I think a, it was a meaningful experience for me, and it really reminded me how many people are affected by these crimes. You know, we talk about hundreds of homicide victims right. going back right. a decade, right. but then you think about the fathers, the sis- the siblings, the children, the grandchildren, the uncles, the aunts, the cousins. Not to mention the friends. Exponentially, I mean, there are thousands of people in this town who uh, have lost somebody that they love to violent crime. And you step into this guy's living room, that's just one case. Mm-hmm. And all of these people still mourning his loss. I thought it was very powerful. Well, that sort of segues, I guess, into the other story that you wrote about Travel George. Um, and because one of the, I'm looking at the story again, and one of the things that you wrote was how. Um, every time something happens, it sort of brings his mother back to this, and how it's the little things that always sort of jogs her memories back back to him. So again, let's just look a little bit about this story and tell tell listeners sort of what you came away with from the how you got into the story and sort of what what you came away with. 
Sure. Well, this is another case that we wrote about at the time that it happened. We wrote several stories, and then it just kind of unfortunately went away like so many other cases do in the public eye. Um, but uh, I found Travell's mother, Tracy, through a mutual friend on social media. And uh, Tracy was was more than willing to sit down and talk about her son. This case, uh, as opposed to the previous case, this case is still unsolved. Mm-hmm. So there's the kind of the added motivation of trying to keep the case in the in the public eye, uh, so that hopefully one day there will be justice in this case uh, that that may incline make make family members even more inclined to to speak. Um, but uh, but yeah, you I think you nailed it when you said that there's just these little things that that come up in Tracy's life that remind her of him. Um, the example in the story is uh, whenever her there's something wrong with her car. Right. She's driving down the road and her car starts sputtering. She thinks of her son because he was mechanically inclined and he liked to work on cars. His, his father taught him how to do that. And um, so it's just little, and I'm sure there's a thousand other examples that, that I don't know about, but little things like that that virtually on a day-to-day basis um, uh, bring him to, to her mind. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, to me, it's just striking to think about how difficult that is that must be to, to on a, literally every day to have to have something happen uh, that 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 brings your son to mind. Um, how difficult that must be. But she was very generous with her time with us. We spent a number of hours with her, and um, she's got a lot going on in her life right now. But um, I was thankful to her, and I always, as a reporter, I was always very thankful to families who were willing to share. Um, you know these kind of these intimate details. It's very brave of them. Are you are you surprised at how much people will share about their their private lives? Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I think there's a kind of a you know we live in this age where people are very concerned about uh, security of their information with social media and and in uh, the internet. And I think there's kind of this expectation that people want to be left alone and that they don't want to have reporters come in to talk to them. And that they want to be able to grieve uh, in peace, which of course is absolutely their right. Um, but but I think people would be surprised. Again, this is just my experience. But but I did a lot of these kinds of stories as a cops reporter. Um, I think people would be surprised how many of these families really do want to talk. Um, and you know, I'm not claiming to be like be a, a therapist or anything like that. But but you know, does does it help them? Does well, the, it help them to some extent to well, be able to talk about this? Well, stuff? the word that keeps coming up is cath- uh, cathartic. That you're as a as a journalist, you're there. They're having the conversation, and in a lot of cases, almost like a flood of information and relief and sharing comes out of them to you as you're sitting there with your, you know, your pen, your pen and pad, or recorder, and just talking about talking about this loved one, and they have the opportunity. To just tell you what a great person they that their loved one was and what they're missing. In Travell's case, he would be the opposite of Salvador Castagnon because he was not even twenty before um, his death occurred. Yeah, he had his whole life in front of him. He was a football player, came out of Franklin High, uh, was pretty well known back in the day. Um, he was going to Chico State. He was kind of trying to figure out. Uh, you know what he wanted to do with his life, and uh, came home for for break, and uh, was was killed while basically just standing on the sidewalk with some of his friends. It was a uh, someone who walked up with a gun and opened fire, and case was uh, 
the case was never solved. So, yeah, it's very tragic. And like so many other cases in Stockton involving young people who have their whole lives in front of them, um, Travell lost his. The, one interesting thing to consider here is that you do, when you sit down with these families, you find out about little slivers of hope that come out of these kinds of stories. And one of the interesting stories about Travell involves his brother Clarence, who um, uh, I, his mother told me very vividly about how Clarence got up at Travell's funeral and said something to the effect of, uh, to this crowd of thousands of people in this church, said, um, you know, you're, this, this will not be in vain. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something with my life. I'm going um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take this tragedy and I'm going to turn it into something positive. And he went on to, to uh, Michigan State, and he's working on a degree in... Uh, I think it's African-American. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and, and his goal is to really kind of a, go out and, and address some of the basic fundamental causes of violence in our communities, which is exactly what took his brother 10 years ago. So there are little good things that, you, <laughs> that come out of these horrible mm-hmm. events that you hear about from these families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's... That would definitely would be something would be something good. I think that um, one of the over overriding themes that we've seen through the stories done by you and uh, Roger Phillips, Almendra Carpizo, and Nicholas Phillips is just this overriding sense of loss, the um, almost rip from their soul that a lot of these survivors have, and I'm I'm grateful that the people we talked to were willing to share because I think in part that it helps us to tell the community uh, the real effects of this because as you mentioned and we mentioned in these other conversations, we go, we cover, people mourn and then everybody walks away and poof, you know, people have nothing left and at least now we can take a little bit of a glimpse back and then try to understand and get a little glimpse of exactly what they've experienced. Yeah, and I'm not sure, and I'm no expert, but, but I'm not certain based on my own experience writing about these kinds of cases that that the pain really diminishes that much over time. Um, we were talking about, again, we're talking about cases that are 10 years old and they still affect these families in very, very strong and powerful ways every day. Yeah. Uh, so it's just something to, to consider. Um, just because a case may seem like ancient history, uh, it's it's certainly not for the people who are directly involved by it right. or affected by it. Right, exactly. Well, Alex, thanks for coming back and having this chat. I appreciate it. Sure, thank you. I was, it was an honor to write these stories. My, my last stories as a journalist, so I, I, feel, I, I hope that they in some way um, help the families. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Thank you.